0: Good morning, everyone. I'm happy to be here this morning uh, teaching on this subject. I thought this has been a really great class that we've had. Um, And when I was asked to teach on the powers of the power of Jesus's name, I was really excited. When I received Savior and Messiah as my topic, I was a lot less excited. And it's not that... uh, those aren't great and important names of Jesus. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think they may be the most important names of Jesus, but it's something that we all kind of already know about. It's the reason why we're here. If he wasn't our savior and the Messiah, then we wouldn't be here today. I was hoping I would get something like the word and I am, which was last week, but I'm really glad I didn't because Clint knocked it out of the park. He did an awesome job. Um, And as I studied more for this lesson, I realized that, yes, we may know a lot about these names already, but they are really great. And they hold a lot of power because they relate directly to us. And uh, if it weren't for these names, we wouldn't be here. And uh, I really appreciated my time and study as we looked at this. So we're going to go ahead and dive in this morning what do the names savior and messiah mean to you remember this is a discussion based class that we're having
1: i got to write an email about it yesterday so i'm not going to answer
0: okay remember this is the the names that we know already a lot about so i expected some some discussion here don't worry, we are going to go into the entomology of the, the Messiah a little bit later.
1: I'll start. Um, I, said it, I said it in the email, but I think Savior is the idea that you need to be saved, which I think is super important. And we, we, we have to understand that we're sinful and that if we don't do something, people won't, you know, it's not going to end well for us. So I, I think that has to always be at the the beginning of the gospel, is that we're broken and something has to mend us, something has to save us. It's really essential to the gospel and we fail to bring it up more than i'd like
2: going along with that thinking of a savior is somebody that you need so that name means you know we need him he's not just important or just powerful but he's necessary
0: yeah definitely um messiah goes right along with savior as well i mean by the fact that he is the messiah he is our savior he couldn't be one without the other um, anybody else before we get in Tony Evans? Yeah
3: so I think um, thinking about like the Messiah, you know obviously the 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 people of Israel were looking forward right uh, We can look at our past and say we need to be saved, but they were looking forward to salvation from their just entire existence. and I do think that I mean that Messiah term that idea it, it applies to us today too because we also should be. Looking forward to, you know, we have been saved from our sin, but we're still looking forward to that total salvation and, I guess, regeneration of the world.
0: Um, Exactly. Basically summed up the whole lesson there. That was wonderful. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see what Tony Evans has to say about the subject. Uh, Also, before we start, I got a blank slide for some reason. This is a lot of the material that I am going to be speaking on after Tony Evans is from The Bible Project and their Messiah video. It is very good. Highly recommend you watch it. all right so that was a lot that was the longest video i think in the series um and we're gonna go ahead and start off with some background kind of on the messiah and then we'll work into some questions based off of the videos so tony kept talking about how messiah and christ are interchangeable and mean the same thing so i just wanted to show you how that was derived messiah means anointed one or king in hebrew and it's translated as christ through greek And uh, the king part is going to be especially important as we go through the history. But just wanted to show you uh, two ways of where we got the the term Messiah and Christ, meaning the same things, different translation. Same word, though. So, uh, I just gave away my next question, but uh, does anybody know where the first messianic prophecy comes from in the Bible? Genesis 3.15. Yes! And, you know, I would have probably gotten there eventually, but when I was thinking about it, that's not the first place I think of Messianic prophecies. The first place I think of Messianic prophecies really comes along in the prophets, where we have prophecies. But it's actually right at the very beginning, as Adam and Eve are getting kicked out of the garden. Um, And when I read it, I was like, of course, that makes sense. And it says in Genesis chapter 3.15, Uh, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So God told us about the Messiah all the way in the beginning. And this language of a Savior and needing a Savior happens all the way at the beginning. So we're now going to fast forward a little bit in Genesis and we're going to come to a man named Judah. Judah is the great, great grandson of Abraham. There's probably some extra people in there. Um... But he receives a promise that a king will come from his line and that the whole world will bow down to him and there will be great prosperity in the world because of him. So fast forward again, and Israel has asked for an earthly king. And the the first king that is anointed by the chosen, chosen by God is David. And David comes from that line of Judah. But he obviously isn't the person who the prophecy is talking about. He is just a man. He makes mistakes, and he is not going to be able to crush the snake. And again, I'm using a lot of the uh, Bible project here, and they keep referring back to that Genesis 3. And so when I'm talking about sin, it's going to be referencing to the snake and the garden. God does, however, make David a promise that a king will come from his lineage. And so as you go through each generation of David's sons— People are still waiting to see where this Messiah is going to come from, but all of David's sons do worse than him. And they worship other things and follow worldly desires, money, power, worshiping other gods, allowing other nations to come in and settle where God chose for his people to be. And they run the nation of Israel into the ground by not trusting God. God is angry, and he allows Babylon to come in, and take his people into captivity at this point and so now there aren't even any more kings to fulfill this promise and uh, the the future is looking pretty bleak for God's Messiah. The prophets however keep talking about the king and how he will restore the earth. Isaiah gives us a great insight into what the, uh, why the king will have to be bitten on the heel and ultimately die. He says in Isaiah 53 5 But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. But as we all know, he doesn't die. He comes back. And since he comes back, he's able to heal and bring peace through his sacrifice and wounds to all of us. So, Isaiah gives this prophecy while his people are in captivity. And it's not going to come true for quite a bit more time. In fact... In all of this time, the Babylonians will be conquered by the Persians, who will be conquered by the Greeks, who will be conquered by the Romans. And I thought about drawing a map on the whiteboard, but my art skills aren't great. But uh, just to show you that the stakes get bigger and bigger and bigger because these empires get larger and larger and larger. So God is choosing a time when it looks like nobody would ever be able to stand up to an empire. The Roman Empire is at its strongest And that's when he decides to send the Messiah. So the people of Israel have been waiting this whole time, generations, hundreds of years, and the Old Testament closes with the people continuing to wait as they're held in captivity. Um, Then the New Testament begins by introducing Jesus, Uh, As Dr. Evans pointed out, they make a very good point in Luke and Matthew to show that he is in the lineage of David, fulfilling the prophecy made to David and Judah, and that the Messiah will come and do great things. In fact, he shows that he is the Messiah by healing people while he is here and forgiving them, which is something only the Messiah can do. So he shows his Christhood while he is here on earth, uh, as well as after he is ultimately bitten by the snake and succumbs to death. So Jesus begins to tell the people around him that he is the king that they have been waiting for, and people start to follow him. They listen, and they see that he is fulfilling the prophecies, as was talked about in Luke 24, and that these people are good Jews. They would have known that this goes back to Genesis 3. But nobody saw that it truly meant he had to die. Even his own disciples didn't believe that as he started to let on to them that he was going to have to die for this Messiahhood to be full and be fulfilled. So he is bitten, as we know, on the cross. He dies, but he makes a triumphant return, and this story of tragedy turns into a story of triumph. And we know that Jesus' power over the effects of evil and death transcends time and is now able to be used in our own lives as well. We can see his Christhood in our own lives. Uh, We know that one day he will come back and destroy the snake or evil once and for all and that he will make all things new again. So now it's our turn to wait on the Messiah to come back. And uh, again, I wanna go to that Bible project video. It was excellent if you want more information on this. So going back to the video, while we wait on Jesus to come back, Dr. Evans mentions three things that Jesus does in his role of Messiah. He is a prophet, a priest, and a king. So let's talk about those. Let's uh, talk about these roles and responsibilities that Jesus fulfills and how it relates to people in our contemporary culture. How do we see Jesus working as a prophet, a priest, and a king in our lives and in our culture?
4: going to God himself for us. I mean, it's it's a pretty... You feel pretty secure in that knowledge,
0: you know? Yeah. Uh, Especially, are any of us in here Jews or from Jewish descent? Well, we definitely need Jesus and his priesthood to be able to to speak to God at all. We weren't from God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts?
1: Yeah, it's, it's like the king thing, I think... As, as we erase God from our culture we, we no longer have an objective sort of standard or standard bearer or someone that you know like a king declares what is right or wrong or what we should do we don't have that so just like the Israelites kind of clamored for a king because other people had kings you know we, we really look to politics or to our government or you know leaders for that for that direction and it's not the right place to look and so I think you know, accepting Jesus as king and as the one that should direct you know, and declare what's right and what's good and what's holy <coughs> is, re- is really important. And we, we see how we fail as a culture and as a people group when we listen to men and women that, that lead and that seek power and seek power for the wrong reasons.
0: Well, ultimately none of those kingdoms will mm-hmm. last. Uh, I think another big thing about uh, Jesus as our King is, is that it requires submission. Uh, we as Americans have a hard time with that word submission, especially to our government as even it changes. It changes <laughs> potentially every two years, every four years, depending on when your election cycle is. And It's hard to submit to something, but Jesus as an everlasting King is something that you can submit to knowing that it won't ever change.
4: You know, Alan, prof- prophet is one thing I don't really think about that much when it comes to Jesus. <coughs> um, I think there's a there's stigma around the word prophet. It's, it's very mystical. Ooh, prophet. You predict the future. But I think um, and uh, prophets were, were essentially preachers. You know, they were, they were calling people to respond to God. They were calling people to repentance. And so that's an aspect about Jesus that I don't think about too often. We talk about the being the Savior and Messiah and the love and the grace but here is this aspect of Jesus that says no he's he's demanding something of us you know through like just like the prophets did demanding repentance demanding you live a certain way demanding that you um, uh, put sin out of your life and and it's one that you know uh, we don't think too much about when we talk about Jesus
0: yeah, the, the Jesus calling you in your sin is is a lot of the part where we think of the Savior instead of, well, he's calling you in your sin and telling you not to live that way yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's the uncomfortable part. Yeah. yeah.
3: No. I think um, prophecy is really forward-looking, and if if everything that Jesus is ever going to do is done, then what's the point of what we're doing here right now? Um, and, and so because it's so forward-looking, we're still looking for him to fulfill um, you know the finality of it you know Jesus will return and you know that is when you know everything is is finally fulfilled and so um, he is still our prophet and we're still looking forward to the fulfillment of all the
0: promises. Yeah definitely and and revelation shows that he will come back he will make all things new sin will be vanquished for good and uh, the earth will be made as it should have been So, Jesus has come once, but we await his return to fully set up his kingdom and make all things new. What are some differences or similarities between the Old Testament awaiting of the Messiah and our culture awaiting the return of our king? Going back to your waiting question, how do we do that? What does it look like?
3: We have the people, I think, that hold fast to that hope, right? and Keep looking, um, and then you have the people who got tired of waiting and thought, well, I don't think this is actually going to happen. And so I think we find ourselves in that same place sometimes. You know those people within your church. I don't know why. I think of like like a really faithful old grandma right now, like in my mind, you know, just this always on point. And then you have other people who like, you know, sometimes I'm that person that kind of just gets pulled aside by shiny things. Mm -hmm. um, And they did the same thing. You know, they look for other people if they thought, "Oh, this is the person." It's not exactly what the Bible said. But this would want, um, and I think we do that same thing too.
0: Yeah, I think that's also important to note that there were other people who claimed to be the Messiah before Christ and before Jesus came. So there were other people that tried to stand. I don't know why you would want to stand that way if you're trying to get the earthly king thing going, but. Uh, Yeah, there were other people that had claimed that before Jesus, and Jesus is the only one who fulfilled those prophecies. So, what does hopefully holding hope look like? What does it look like to wait for a return of a king? We know he's coming back, but we don't know when. What does that look like to our culture? Does it make us look silly, weak, that we're waiting on something that we don't know if it will ever come? I mean, it took the Israelites being completely removed from all power before the Messiah ever came. Okay, well, this uh, this goes into our next question then. What are some practical ways we can demonstrate more openly and regularly that we are awaiting the return of our Lord?
2: So I think like what you just said, I think it does look silly to our culture if we're not practically and openly demonstrating that we're awaiting the return of the Lord. I think the only way that it makes any impact on our culture is that we're making a difference in this world because of the kingship of the messiah and that lives in us and that's the difference between i think what we have now and what the israelites had then is that for them it was like you know you live your life and you follow the rules and then you offer a sacrifice to make up for it and it, there's there was no like sanctification process going on inside of the israelite people and um, but we have that and he said it a lot in the video like like his kingdom here on earth, like that he's working in us to be more sanctified, and so I think that, I mean, when you say practical, I haven't said anything practical about what we do. <laughs> 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 like, but um, you know, conceptually, like we need to find what those practical ways are, because I think that's how we make sure that we're not—it's not a silly awaiting of the Messiah.
0: I really like that, especially when I think about how. Uh, the Jewish people awaited, Uh, they they internalized. They pulled back. They became more rigorous in their following of the rules and offering of the sacrifices, but they didn't reach out to the rest of the world and share what they knew that the Messiah was coming. And in fact, we're called to not internalize everything, but actually show the world that we have a king who's coming back.
3: I think Dr. Evans also Kind of hit on that practicality. Talked about the celebrity of, of people today and how I mean, how often do we use that term? Like so and so like was the savior of their sports team or like whatever. But I think, and, and I want to be very careful about how I say this because I know this is very complicated, <coughs> nuanced. But like, if we look to men and women, you know, uh, politically or in culture, as the people who are going to save us from where we are and we replace Jesus with you know a a, somebody who is human um, because we want the problem to be solved right now and they offer a solution and I'm not saying we shouldn't as Christians lean into solutions to make life better for people but when we mistakenly replace Jesus with people who will fail us and maybe that's even more important because these people will fail us, and then what happens to that conviction we had when that person we threw all of our faith in, they stumble and get canceled, right? And then where's all that momentum that we had? And so I think practically, we don't replace Jesus with fallible things.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, And any other thoughts, we move on to the next question. All right, so last question. We're going to get it on time today. Uh, Sin is shown as wreaking havoc on our lives and in our world. In what ways can we and should we engage in Jesus as a Savior daily or rely on his deliverance from sin's pull and impact in our lives? Again, looking for some practical ways. Uh, When I see this question, I think about my anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety over things that I can't control. I can't control a lot of what's going on at work. Uh, Last year, uh, I worked for the federal government, and I was out of work for, oh good, like three or five weeks, something like that, as the federal government shut down. And I could not control that. And uh, we had wonderful people here who were making sure that, oh, (laughs) you guys need groceries? We'll help get groceries and things like that. And it was wonderful. And so uh, I let my anxieties kind of overtake me a little bit when I should have been instead relying on Jesus and knowing that he and his community were going to take care of everything that was needed. And so that's, that's a practical way for me is the, to refocus my anxieties and rely on the knowledge that he is going to take care of us through the community that he's given us.
1: So we're, we're going through Mere Christianity in our little Bible study that we do on Mondays, and he talks about how, um, how you know that there's a God, and one of the reasons is, is there is a, there's a yearning inside of all of us for something that nothing in this world can fulfill. And so it's these analogies that it's sort of like we have a square peg and we keep trying to you know, jam a circular-shaped object you know, into that, whatever that is. It's you know, things we're looking for fulfillment in this world, um, and that we should be trying to fill that with, with Jesus. And I think it is to say, is if we've been saved by Jesus and we've accepted that, and yet we still are trying to give ourselves the medicine of this world, you know, whatever that looks like, it doesn't really <coughs> deliver the message that we feel like we've been saved. You know, so it's like someone who is going to doctors looking for answers, but really their issue is psychological. You know, and they, they really just have an issue in their mind. But they feel the need to take medicines you know, to feel better about it. Uh, we, we need to accept that we're saved, that we've received from the great physician the cure, and of course, if we've been saved and that we were broken and now we're mended, we should want to tell everyone about that. You know, so that's how it should impact <coughs> our lives. So we want to tell everyone else about that cure. So if we keep to ourselves, and we're looking for other you know solutions, and we, we've obviously in our minds not been saved.
0: Yeah, I, I do feel like this is a this is a big one. It's a it's a very personal battle. And a lot of it does have to do within your mind of, of how do we show that we're saved? Are we still trying to fix ourselves? Still going to other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh,
2: Dr. Evans' example about a lifeguard was a good one because in our culture it is so important to be independent, to do things ourselves, and to you know have a handle on things. Like no, nobody wants to you know necessarily share what their struggles are and what their weaknesses are because that. It goes against what our culture values of being strong on our own. And so trying to do it all ourselves isn't what Jesus has asked of us. And so that goes, it's noticeable to others and to the world if we can surrender and seek Jesus' help, God's help.
0: All right, any other closing thoughts?
2: or um, trying to take control of whatever situations are going on in your life. But um, actually praying and then relying on whatever the answer is, or maybe the answer doesn't come immediately. But um, I mean, it's easy to answer that. But I think it is like the only way you can actually rely on that daily.
0: I think that's a great way to, to sum that up there. So thank you. Thank you, everybody, for participating this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, did I have anybody would like to pray for us in closing?